I'm Annie Apple, and I'm here to invite you to come and listen to my new podcast series, Raising April. It's the most intimate sports-related conversations you will hear. Each week, we explore the journeys of some of your favorite NFL players through the eyes of those that know them best. From Joe Burr, DeAndre Hopkins, Miles Garrett, Ezekiel Elliott, Nick and Joey Boza, just to name a few. With exclusive insights and information, we leave no stone unturned. Subscribe now to Raising a Pro on your favorite podcast app. You're listening to a Hindustan Times production. Brought to you by HD Smartcast. Hi, I'm Sanchita Sharma. I'm the health and science editor with the Hindustan Times. Welcome to my podcast, HealthWise. Each episode will bring you up to speed with the top of the mind, health, science and environment issues. You'll hear experts who will help you better understand policy and decipher jargon so that you can make the choices that work best for you. With several promising experimental coronavirus disease vaccines likely to be available by early next year, India has begun preparing to immunize 250 million people by July 2021. Most of the potential COVID-19 vaccines will be given in two doses to offer protection against infection or reduce the severity of disease, which means that 400 to 500 million jabs of the vaccine will have to be given within six months. Now, is this possible? I'm here with Deepak Kapoor today, who is Rotary's National Polio Plus Chair for India, and he believes it's achievable. And he has a lot of experience because Deepak and his team of volunteers focused on advocacy and support government to address the gaps in vaccination delivery to ensure that polio drops reached vulnerable and marginalized population to ensure that no child was left behind. And as a result, the last polio case was recorded in India on January 13, 2011. And in March 2014, the World Health Organization declared India polio free. So we have several learnings from uh, the polio immunization program. And uh, let's talk to Mr. Kapoor today and he's going to tell us what we can do to ensure that the COVID-19 vaccine reaches 200 to 250 million people within six months. Welcome to the show, Mr. Kapoor. Thank you for joining us. Thank you very much. It's a pleasure to be here with you. Right. So I wanted to uh, understand how India eradicated polio because that was a mammoth task and nobody really believed we could do it because, you know, given the size of our population, given the size of young children who needed the drops, and not just once or twice, but repeatedly for, you know, all children needed drops uh, till the age of five. So now with coronavirus disease, India plans to immunize 250 million people by July 2021, and that's what the Health Minister Hashwantan has said. But with most experimental vaccines that are available right now, uh, it seems that we need at least two doses, which means about 400 to 500 million jabs will have to be delivered within six months. So is that possible? I mean, what's your experience with the polio eradication program? You know, when polio eradication uh, initiative began and midway through it and even towards the end, experts from WHO and other experts from across the world thought that India may not be able to do it at all. And if it did, it would be the last country in the world to actually manage to do so. But we defied all odds of our huge population, population density, in sanitary conditions, and a whole host of other factors like malnutrition, and we delivered so much so that on the 13th of January 2011 was the last case of 
the wild polio virus reported from India. Coming to your question about delivering 400 to 500 million doses beginning July, it would be a challenging task, of course, because cold chain has to be adequate. Now, from what I understand, there are two kinds of vaccines. There are those that are um, okay at about minus 30 Celsius and those that are okay for about minus 70 Celsius. Quite obviously, India will have to go with the one which can be maintained at about minus 30 Celsius because our cold chain is geared to that. It is possible. Uh, it will require a great deal of training and vaccine delivery, and I believe that a whole host of other organizations such as Rotary and WHO and UNICEF, the entire gamut of organizations involved in the partnership against polio would have to be involved again. And I believe once it becomes a people's movement again, the supply may be there, but the uh, beneficiaries have to be willing and ready to accept the immunization. And that is going to be another challenge. But I don't believe any of these in the long run or even in the short run are insurmountable. We still have about, what, eight months, a little over eight months to go before we expect the vaccine to be available against the coronavirus. And I believe it is entirely possible, but we have to go into an emergency preparedness mode right now and lay the groundwork. Luckily, thanks to polio, we have had um, great augmentation of the polio or the health infrastructure in the country. Now, I think this is a bit like reaching the base camp of the Everest. Of course, this is a big achievement that we have this basic infrastructure in place, but now we have to fine-tune it, and the final ascent on the peak of the Everest, which would be against COVID, I guess, we will have to uh, renew our efforts. It's interesting that you mentioned that the vaccine needs to be accepted because there was resistance in some parts of the country and in some uh, areas against uh, both the polio vaccine and now we're seeing the same resistance to the measles vaccine. So I, do you think there's likely to be resistance against the COVID vaccine as well? Because a lot of this resistance to polio vaccination, which was essentially oral and did not involve jabs and did not involve the complications, the minor complications that can come from the injectable vaccine. When you say complications, you mean side effects, right? Correct, side effects, and maybe a little fever here and there, uh, stuff which should be taken completely normal, is likely to be blown out of proportion. What we noticed during the polio initiative was that some political leaders at a very, very lower rung of the ladder would for their own personal gains at the local level, spread rumors about the vaccine. Mm -hmm. And if that kind of a thing happens, again, luckily, we have a mechanism in place, which was um, a Rotary UNICEF mechanism, to address these concerns and to be able to overcome this resistance. So to answer your question, it is possible that resistance could come up, but I think 
we have the basic infrastructure in place to be able to tackle those. So, how many children were being reached during every pulse polio round? Because the numbers were humongous, right? During every NID, which you know is a part of supplementary immunization to support the perhaps not perfect routine immunization, every NID, the National Immunization Day, we were reaching close to 170 million children every round. And there were many sub-NIDs, as you know, in the state of Uttar Pradesh, for instance, there was a year when we actually had, over a 12-month period, we had 14 rounds. So a lot, a lot of children were being reached. And just one day of booth immunization followed by four to six days of house-to-house immunization, we actually reached 170 million children. So, of course, here for the corona, the basic difference is that polio immunization was up to the age of five. So, we were reaching children up to the age of five, but here we are talking of, what, 130 crore people all over the country, and 200 to 250 million doses in the very first part to the most vulnerable populations will take a lot of effort. Will it make a difference because people are used to getting their kids immunized but here it's also adults, it's across age groups, it's it's pregnant women so do you think we'll need a different kind of sensitization? Uh, What is the role Rotary is likely to play here? Rotary's role in the polio eradication initiative was uh, essentially advocacy for the political leadership to keep it on their agenda with the top bureaucrat and down the uh, ladder again to the village level and also against uh, advocacy for immunization with religious leaders of different sects. The second thing that I believe we were very successful with, with the other partners, UNICEF and WHO, was social mobilization. So posters, banners, miking, Pandora, and that kind of stuff, little giveaways at the booths where the vaccine was given, all these uh, enticed people to bring their children to the booth and then to open their doors to the health workers when they came from house to house to get the polio drops. Apart from this, Rotary was also instrumental in... Um, Delivering the vaccine, for instance, for many, many, many years in Delhi, the entire vaccine from the main depots to the sub-depots was delivered by Rotary volunteers in their own cars. They would wake up at 4 o'clock in the morning, pick up the vaccine and take it there. So, uh, all this will have to be deployed all over again. How do you motivate people to, you know, uh, do this kind of stuff? Because... It's it's not a one-off thing, you know. It has to be sustained. How do you <laughs> keep motivation levels high? I think we've got We're to... We're seeing it with, you know, our Corona warriors because they've been going on and on and on. So how do you keep people, you know, doing what they do every day? And that's the question I ask my wife every morning. She's a doctor and years up in all the paraphernalia, PPE kits and so on and so forth. And the answer is that I... I believe that's what most of the medical practitioners do. They take it as a part of their job. For them, there is no reneging from the Hippocratic oath and to actually go out 
and do what they are supposed to be doing. And I think um, people can be infused again through social messaging, just Amitabh Bachchan so successfully did in the polio campaign, and uh, his recording is there available on the, the ringtone when you ring up somebody. And I think this would be one of the small things, and the aggregate of many small things will actually overcome the hesitation to accept immunization. Right. And a bit different between the polio immunization program, uh, the pulse polio program, and delivering the COVID vaccine would be that pulse polio was a drop which could be delivered by ASHA workers and volunteers with very basic training, whereas vaccine now will be an injectable vaccine which will require medical training to be delivered. So do you think we have enough ANMs, nurses, doctors who can actually meet this mammoth task? How can we scale up our work, healthcare workforce to do to physically deliver the vaccine, to inject people with the coronavirus vaccine? Very legitimate concern because to just put two drops into a child's mouth and there to not have any enumeration apart from just marking the little finger of the child here, when we are talking of hygiene, we are talking of the fear of the virus itself getting to those delivering the vaccine. So all this will require extensive planning and efforts. But to answer your question, yes, I do believe we have enough ANMs, nurses, and doctors. And each one of these, including private doctors, will have to step up to the plate and will have to be enthused and energized to give off their best to make sure that the vaccine reaches the most vulnerable population in the first phase of the program. So do we still have a good enough, a large enough distribution system in place, a cold chain system in place? I mean, I realize, of course, that we're still using, you know, we're still immunizing immunizing millions of children every year. There's been a rollback because now, obviously, the number of polio rounds have gone down. We just so, so do you think we have a system in place or do we need to start building right away to ensure that there are no gaps in COVID vaccine delivery when we start actually vaccinating people next year? Um, I believe we have a basic health infrastructure in place. But of course, we are going to have to augment it, to fine-tune it, keep the wheels well-oiled in order to uh, manage this humongous uh, task to reach vaccine without any glitches in the cold chain, to reach vaccine without any compromise on the hygiene front will be a huge task. But I do believe that with proper planning and the leadership of the government, um, I think it can happen. I think it will happen. Right. And in 2021, in January, India will complete a decade of, you know, the last polio case, indigenous polio case being reported in 2011. How does that make you feel? I mean, looking back, what was the biggest hurdle and coming back to coronavirus disease, do you think we need to go on a campaign mode again to achieve our goal of vaccinating everyone who needs it to end coronavirus disease? It was a huge challenge. 13th of January 2011 is really an indelible date in my mind because that's when baby Ruksar in Calcutta, Howrah, got the wild virus, and she was the last child till date in India to get it. So it's a massive achievement. 27th of March 2014, India was declared to be polio-free, which was a certification from the World Health Organization. And I believe that 
as we go on, all this will translate into enthusiasm for the fight against COVID-19 as well. It can be done. It will be done. That is for sure. I'm sorry, I, I lost your the second part of your question. I got so moved by the dates that I was... I know, even I remember that date. No, I was saying, do we need to go on a campaign mode again? Uh, do we need I, to sustain that campaign mode to get it done? Campaign mode for an injectable vaccine may not be the right thing to do. I think I'm open to uh, questioning on this. Maybe it will work out, but a campaign mode where you actually have hundreds of thousands of people coming to a booth and everybody getting injected on the same day is perhaps um, uh, open to doubt. What will have to happen is something replicating the house-to-house immunization that we did for uh, uh, polio, where maybe delivery can be made apart from the primary health centers and the medical centers of the government, even in people's homes. When you're talking of reaching 250 million people, I think there will be a component of this which will come in. India has a huge mobile population, a huge migrant population, which was also a challenge during polio. So won't that be a problem again when we start the whole house-to-house thing? Of course it will be. It will be a massive challenge. Mm -hmm. And to get them actually to come to a government health center to get immunization is perhaps asking for too much. So the vaccine will have to reach the advantage here. Again, thanks to the polio initiative is that there is great uh, mapping in every state of India of migrant populations and where they exist. So these micro plans developed with the help of WHO by the governments, various state governments in India, will come in very, very handy. But you're right that reaching the migrant population will be quite a challenge. And my last question for you, you know, a big advantage we have today, which we didn't have earlier, was of course social media. You have WhatsApp and Twitter and, you know, text messaging where a lot of the messaging can actually reach people. But then you also have this big disadvantage of a lot of misinformation reaching people. So will we need to plan for that as well? Because it's been a huge setback during the measles uh, campaign. Most definitely. It's a completely double-edged sword, the social media, I mean. And today the national mantra appears to be um, WhatsApp, for instance. I mean, maybe Twitter and other social media are not as important as WhatsApp in India. But today, every migrant, we were talking of migrants, every uh, construction laborer, every industrial employee, each one has a cell phone, or almost everyone has a cell phone, and they have WhatsApp on So we are going to have to be very careful, prepare many, many campaigns involving which could be delivered over WhatsApp. And secondly, be prepared to counter any negative criticism of the program that uh, comes on WhatsApp. Thank you so much. This was really, really informative. Thank you for joining us. Thank you very much. Pleasure. If you still have any queries or would like me to cover a certain health topic, do feel free to reach out to me. You can reach me at Sanchex, that is at S-A-N-C-H-X, or at HT Smartcast. We are available on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. For more such podcasts, log on to htsmartcast.com. Until next time, goodbye. This was a Hindustan Times production brought to you by HT Smartcast. 
and I'm here to invite you to come and listen to my new podcast series, Raising April. It's the most intimate sports-related conversations you will hear. Each week, we explore the journeys of some of your favorite NFL players through the eyes of those that know them best. From Joe Burrow, DeAndre Hopkins, Miles Garrett, Ezekiel Elliott, Nick and Joey Boza, just to name a few. With exclusive insights and information, we leave no stone unturned. Subscribe now to Raising a Pro on your favorite podcast app.